Great song. Well, we've come to the uh, sermon portion of our service now, so uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we so appreciate these times when we can open the Bible, our Bible, our personal Bible, and learn from your word. And we know that it's the Holy Spirit's work to search the scripture, to also search our heart and make a connection there. So we're not seeking just intelligence learning today, brain learning. Father, we're, we're seeking heart learning. We know that uh, you're the potter and we're the clay. So shape us, mold us in the way that you will today. Help us to learn from this message and help it to be a, become a part of us, Father. That's our prayer this morning. And we know that you can do it and you will do it. So we pray this now, giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're actually going to start uh, uh, the sermon today showing a couple of pictures. But uh, I'll have you open your Bibles to uh, Zechariah chapter 14 in the Old Testament. The second last book of the Old Testament. And uh, we'll turn to Zechariah 14 and verse 4, actually. Uh, Jen, hate to, to bother you, but you want to turn down the, uh, maybe these front lights. Just these front ones, maybe. Yeah, I think this will make a difference. Uh, we'll start in uh, Zechariah 14, verse 4, and this is, of course, a prophetic verse talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. So that's an important uh, prophetic verse, not just for Christians, but also for Jews, because in the, in the mind of the Jews, this is talking about the Messiah coming the first time. We believe, of course, it's describing Jesus' second coming, because he already came uh, in the flesh, but he's going to return. And also uh, the Muslims who study the Old Testament know this verse as well. So as we look at this picture here, I'll, I'll, this is for, for, for extra credit. Who can tell me what we're looking at here? Jerusalem. Very good, Margon. Thank you very much. Uh, can you all see this? Should we turn off the front lights? Can you all see it well enough? You think? Okay. Let me describe a little bit of what we're, we're looking at here. This, of course, is the, the ancient city of Jerusalem, the old city, as it's called. Jerusalem really spreads out. Modern-day Jerusalem spreads out all over the place. But this is looking at what they call the old city. And... Uh, a wall was built around the city back in ancient times, and there's a wall around the city today. Now, of course, this is not the original wall of Jesus' day. This was rebuilt, they don't know for sure, but they're thinking in the 500s or the 600s A.D. And uh, that wall goes all the way around the city, and, and in the wall are gates. There are eight gates giving access to, to the old city. Now, I want to focus on the eastern gate today, which is located right here. So we're on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, looking at the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, this gate on the eastern side of the city is known as the Golden Gate. So that's the, the name of our sermon today, the Golden Gate. It's also known as the Gate of Mercy. Uh, this gate gives the most direct access to what would have been the area of the temple, ancient.
receive the temple. Now, of course, the temple doesn't stand anymore. It was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So the Muslims, uh, don't forget that the city of Jerusalem has changed hands many times over the centuries between Christians and Muslims. And there have been where Christians ruled Jerusalem for centuries. Uh, that's where the Crusades uh, went in, gained access for the Christians, and then the Muslims would come along, especially during the Ottoman Empire, and uh, they would gain it back. So it's changed hands time and time again. Pretty much now uh, the city of Jerusalem is split in many respects. So... Uh, this gate here was famous. It was called the Golden Gate because it was the closest to where the original temple would have been. This Dome of the Rock actually stands on what many think was the Temple Mount area. So a lot of the Jews, even in Jesus' day, would come and pray at this Golden Gate because of all eight gates in the wall, it had closest access to uh, the temple. And of course, most people could not come into the temple grounds, so they would gather outside this uh, golden gate to pray. Uh, the gate is actually a reconstruction that was built, like I said, uh, in the fifth or sixth centuries. And one thing you'll notice about this gate, the entrance, actually two doors or two gates, are, is sealed with rocks, stones, that gate is closed, and you can't have access through that gate. And that was done by the Ottoman Sultan Suleiman in the year 1541. Because the Muslims, during the time that they gained control of the city, they read the Old Testament, and they read the scripture that we just read in Zechariah 14. And the Muslims did not want the Jewish Messiah to enter into the city of Jerusalem. So the first thing Suleiman did was he walled up these gates. That is solid stone there, so you can't go through it. A second thing that he did was he decided to keep the Jewish Messiah out of the city of Jerusalem is to establish a cemetery. So this right here is all burial grounds. And it started off with being Muslim people being buried there because, again, they looked at the Old Testament scripture saying that a Jew... Uh, would not defile himself by coming in contact with the dead. So they think that by putting this cemetery here, it's actually going to keep the Jewish Messiah out of the city because he would not defile himself uh, by returning to the Mount of Olives and crossing over a cemetery to get into the city. Now, what you see here, this is a slope that goes down from the city of Jerusalem into the Kidron Valley, and then up about here is the Mount of Olives. So if the scripture says that Jesus is going to return to the Mount of Olives, it would be here. He'd have to come down into the Kidron Valley and then up this slope to enter into the Golden Gate. So the Muslims are, are, are pretty sure that they've taken steps to prevent the Jewish Messiah from ever coming back into the city of Jerusalem. So they walled up the Golden Gate. Jewish tradition says the Messiah is going to go through this gate when he returns or when he comes the first time and enters into Jerusalem. So they're doubly sure by walling up the gate and planting a uh, cemetery here. Now, interestingly enough, it's not only Muslims that are buried here. 
but a lot of the Jews decided that, well, when the Messiah comes, I want to be really close to where he's going to come, and hopefully I'm going to have a good resurrection and a good judgment. So there were also a lot of Jews buried, thousands and thousands of people buried in this cemetery, just outside the Eastern Wall and the Golden Gate. Uh, there's another picture. You can go ahead and show it, a close-up of the gate itself. There it is. That's what it looks like, all walled up so that you can't pass through it. So the Golden Gate, if you want to look at this further, you could just Google on your computer, Golden Gate, Jerusalem, and it's got a lot more pictures that it can show you. But that's it. We can turn that off. And please, lights back. Another scripture, again, that talks about Jesus returning to uh, the Mount of Olives in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 1. Don't forget, when Jesus ascended up to heaven, where did he ascend from? The Mount of Olives. Notice it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts 1, verse 11 says, uh, Men of Galilee, this is the angel speaking to the apostles after Jesus just ascended up into the sky. The angel says to the men of Galilee, uh, they, they said, the angel said, Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, and most feel that when he returns, he's going to return right back to the Mount of Olives, right across the Kidron Valley from the eastern wall of, of Jerusalem. Okay, so what does that mean for us? <laughs> it's an interesting study in prophecy and in archaeology and in modern-day Jerusalem, but uh, there is a meaning for us today. Now, certainly, when Jesus returns, a wall isn't going to stop him, and a cemetery isn't going to stop him. Uh, he's beyond that. He's, he's not superstitious and nothing is, is going to withstand him if that's his plan to cross over into the city of Jerusalem at his second coming. But what about us? What about us? Where do we stand in, in regard to this whole truth that we just read about? Well, I'd like to turn back to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. So when you, you think about Jesus returning and going up that hill past the cemetery to the city of Jerusalem to establish his kingdom forever, starting there. David asks a question here in Psalm 24, uh, beginning in verse 3. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 3, says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Now we know Jesus certainly can, but among people, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, going up the hill to the city of Jerusalem. Who may stand in his holy place? So when Jesus returns and sets up his headquarters, so to speak, if you will, in the city of Jerusalem, who among people is able to ascend that hill with him and, and to sit maybe beside him in rulership? Well, the answer is verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. 
Now, just humanly speaking, no one can. <laughs> because we have all sinned, haven't we? We have all fallen short of God's expectations. We know the verse that says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And that includes us. Another scripture says, No one is good except God alone. Remember when the people said uh, to, to Jesus, Well, good master, you know, what, you know, and then went on with a question, and Jesus said, Wait a minute. No one is good except God alone. So to answer David's question, who may ascend to the hill of God and be there with Jesus at that time? Well, nobody, because we're all sinners. No one can enter into God's presence because we have all fallen short of God's expectations. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Although no one measures up to God's standards by himself, we all know that God has provided a way for us to be included. Notice David goes on to say here in Psalm 24, in verse 5, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. So, if you really want to be included at that time, if you want to be able to ascend up to the hill of, the, of, of God, you know, with Jesus Christ, there is a blessing that we can receive. There is vindication from God through His Savior, Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, it's involving those who are seeking God, who seek His face. Notice he goes on to say in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O you gates. So when Jesus returns, there's no walled-up gate that is going to stop him. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? This King of glory, the Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. So we're picturing a future time when Jesus returns, or in the minds of the Jewish people, when the Messiah comes for the first time, because they're still waiting for Him to come the first time. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God and as the promised Messiah. But it's talking about a time when the gates of the city of Jerusalem are going to be lifted up, Nothing is going to stop Jesus, as I said. Uh, God has provided a way for us to be included in being able to walk up to the city, to ascend the hill up to the city of Jerusalem. And of course, the way that he has opened is Jesus Christ. If you seek God, we find out through the gospel that God has provided a way for us to overcome our sinfulness, for our sins to be forgiven to be able to be called one who can ascend the hill up to the uh, city of God, up to the throne of God. So one can only approach God by His grace through Jesus Christ, Amen. not by any religious deeds, prayers, or even being buried outside the Golden Gate. <laughs> what we're focusing on is Jesus Christ. What we're focusing on is the gospel. Because he, Jesus Christ is the way that God has provided for us to be included. 
Now, we saw the picture of that gate being walled up by uh, the, the Muslim sultan. He's trying to keep Jesus out of the city. And that's why the cemetery was established, to keep Jesus out of that part of the world. But when we look at our lives, don't you see that sometimes we do the exact same thing? To keep Jesus out of our lives, and I'm talking about you know, people in the world today, what they do is they wall up entryways for God to come into their life. They know that God exists. They like to say that they believe he doesn't exist. But in their heart of hearts, I think, a lot of times they, they realize that there is a God, that God exists, but they don't want to change themselves in any way. And they don't want God to change them. So what they do is they build walls. They wall up doorways so that God can't enter into their life. Because they're very comfortable with their lifestyle, you see. I think a lot of people are, are familiar with the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was crucified. I don't think there's any way to escape that notion in the world today. But yet, they don't want that to apply to them. Because they think that, you know, if I get involved in this, I just know it's going to re require changes in my life. Changes that I don't feel like making right now. Because I'm quite comfortable with my lifestyle, whatever that may be. With a sinful lifestyle. So they wall up entryways, maybe even they establish graveyards around themselves somehow to keep God out. You know, sometimes we invite people to come to church to worship with us. And they say, well, no, I, I don't think I'm ready for that right now. Or I've got other things going on in my life. I've, I'm just too busy. I can't make it. What they're doing is they're building walls. They're cementing up passageways that God may enter their life. They're keeping God at arm's length because they figure, if I get involved in this, I'm going to have to make some changes. And that's why people don't want to read their Bibles because the more they read, the more they're going to see what they're doing wrong in their lives. You know, I remember when I first came into the Worldwide Church of God years ago, I had never really studied the Bible I was raised in the Catholic Church, and it was not customary for Catholics to read their Bibles in church, or for that matter, to read their Bibles at home. You know, my parents had a Bible that was kept in a desk drawer. I still remember it to this day. A real beautiful Bible. It had the, the holy pictures in it. And uh, in the front of the Bible, it had a section to write important events in your family. You remember Bibles like that? And the only time my parents would take the Bible out, even though they were practicing Catholics, and I feel, you know, spiritual people, the only time they would take that Bible out of the, the drawer is if we had a birth, or if there was a death, or if there was a marriage, and they would turn to the pages in the front of the Bible where you could record such information. It was kind of like a family registry. And I remember when I was first called into this church years ago, I started to go and take that Bible out of the desk drawer and read it. You know, I was listening to a radio broadcast that our church was putting out and television programs that our church was putting out at the time. And uh, we were challenged at that time to blow the dust off your Bible and read it yourself. 
And I, I took that seriously. So I got this Bible out that I wasn't at all very familiar with, and I was starting to learn where the book of Genesis was and the book of Revelation was. And I was opening this and sitting at the kitchen table reading this Bible. And my parents thought that I was loony because nobody in our family had ever had an interest in doing such things. And here I was turning pages back and forth. And I don't remember if I started to make marks in their Bible. I think that that would have upset them too much. You know, like we like to mark scriptures in our Bible today or get out different colored pencils and mark things. That was pushing it too far. I couldn't push my parents that far. So eventually I got my own Bible. And I sat down at the table and I was reading it all the time. And my parents would give me a, a strange look like, you know, what, what's going on with you? Why are you doing that? Why do you need to do that? And I had a desire to learn about God. And I was actually turning to these scriptures that I was hearing on the broadcast and the telecast. And the more that I studied and the more that I read, I found out certain things that I was doing wrong. And I realized that as I was studying these things and learning these things, I had to start making changes in my life if I wanted to please God. And in back in those days, we were teaching some pretty heavy legalistic stuff about what sorts of foods that you should eat and not eat and what sorts of days you should keep and not keep and you know, how much money God uh, commanded you back in those days to donate and to contribute and I was making changes. And, you know, I'd sit down to study thinking, what is it going to be today? What else am I doing wrong? Of course, I had a questionable attitude with God as I was learning more about him. I was very immature as a Christian back in those days. But it was almost like somebody was slapping you in the face back and forth. You know, you were learning another thing that I'm doing wrong, that I've got to change in my life. It was hard. And you know what? That's why a lot of people don't want to get a Bible and read it today. Because they're afraid that the more they study, the more they're going to find out they're doing wrong. And it takes effort to make changes like that in your life. But there were many things, by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, that I was able to change. Because I wanted to do things that pleased God. But there are a lot of people in the world who are building those walls, sealing up those entranceways, they didn't want to have a, a relationship with God. They didn't want to get to know him too well because they were afraid that they were going to have to make changes in their lifestyle. But we are to ascend the hill to the Lord. And that represents being in relationship with him. We all in this room here have a relationship with God, whether you realize it or not. A relationship that needs to be growing and deepening and developing every day of our lives. You know, just as no bricked gate will keep Jesus out when he comes, so also no sin will hinder those who come to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the habit of breaking down walls, breaking down barriers, and certainly no uh, bricked up gateway is going to stop him from doing anything he intends to do. You know what? It's the same thing with our life. Sometimes that bricked-up gateway represents sins in our life. And we think, well, we, we can't change that. We've been doing that for so long, uh, I couldn't put forth the effort to change that. They kind of, people kind of throw in the towel and say, I, I give up. I surrender. This is, 
This is too much for me. I can't change these aspects of my life. But God says, yes, you can, by my strength and by my spirit. So no sin in our lives can keep Jesus out, no matter what it is. He is there, ready to enter, ready to enter into a relationship with us, ready to begin to change us and transform us. And that is his desire for each and every one of us. A transformation process where we begin to change, put aside the old habits, leave the old man in the the watery grave at baptism, and live a new life led by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. This is God's desire for every last person. All those people who have built walls around their hearts with the intent of keeping God out, it's God's desire to break down those walls and to enter into relationship with them. Now notice something written here to one of the churches in Revelation 3. We're in verse 20. Revelation 3 and verse 20. This is part of his message to the church in Laodicea, an ancient church that existed at that time, but these messages apply to all of us today. Revelation 3, verse 20, notice what he says to this church. Here I am, this is Jesus speaking to church members now, not to pagan people out in the world, now he's speaking to church people. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So he's not talking about knocking on the door of pagan Gentile unbelievers in the world. Now he's speaking to church members, to you and to me. And he is saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So could it be possible that we as Christians today still have some barriers set up to keep God out? Now here we are, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, we're sitting here as full-blown Christians. But God's message to church members is, you know what? There are still some sections of your life that you have blocked off to me. And I'm here knocking. So think about your life right now, and I'll think about mine as we're speaking here. Could it be that there are some corners, dark, dusty corners of your life that you have not opened up to Jesus Christ? Because that's your lifestyle, and uh, well, yeah, it happens to be sinful, and it happens to be self-centered, and it happens to be this and that, But you know what? We've kind of opened our life to God. We've been baptized. You know, we come to church pretty much on a regular basis. But you know what? Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's got a message for us here saying that he's standing outside a door that you've closed to him, outside of a, a gateway that you've bricked up because you have said, Yeah, God, I'm yours. I give you my life, except for this section over here. You know, I've built a cemetery around that because I don't want you to cross into that. That's my private life, God. So I've given you maybe 75% of my life, but I'm still hanging on to 25% of my sinful life here. What is it in your life 
that may be included in that section that you're still keeping Jesus out of. Notice this message is the church members. Jesus is outside because you've barred him, and he's not going to barge his way into your life. He only comes by invitation. You've got the key to that door that he wants to come through. You're inside. He's knocking on the door. He wants to come in. He won't force his way in. He will only come in by your invitation. He wants to dine and sit with you. In other words, he wants a relationship with you. Are there parts of your relationship with God that are barred off from him? He wants to come deeper all the time. He's speaking here to church members, not pagans. And the lesson is that we must open our hearts fully. He doesn't want 75% of you. He wants 100% of you. He doesn't want any dusty, dark corners you know, blocked off from him. Our surrender to God must be a total surrender. That's what he desires. So I ask you today, as you look at your life, and if you're honest with yourself, there are probably some dark, dusty corners that have been blocked off from God. You like to think that he doesn't know that they exist, but he knows very well that they exist. And we should not be like the Muslims in this case. Well, I'm not going to judge all Muslims. I'm talking about this one uh, ruler by the name of Suleiman, who thought he had a bright idea by uh, walling up the gate that Jesus is supposed to come through and also planting a cemetery that he believes Jesus would not cross over. Let's not block any passageways in our life from Jesus. Because we want to pretend he doesn't know they exist. He knows full well that they exist. But you know what? He still accepts you. He still has forgiven your sins. You still have his grace in full amount. God's message for us as church members today is to go to him with these areas of our life that we're ashamed of, so ashamed of that we have blocked them off from him. Let's open those passageways and say, Lord, you know me totally. You know me 100%, even in the ways that I try to believe don't exist and that you're not aware of. I know I'm forgiven for those things, but I want to open the passageways for you to those things because I want to be totally transformed. I don't want to go into the kingdom with a 75% commitment to you. I want to go into the kingdom with a 100% commitment to you. And I know you're patient with me. I know you're forgiving with me. I know you're very merciful with me. And you're all about grace. And I so appreciate that. But Lord, today, I want to open all gates of my life to you and the gates to my heart. Because I want to be transformed. I want to surrender totally to the, to the will of God. And that's what we surrender in. Body, mind, and will. We want to surrender to him all the things that our body does, the sins that we commit in that respect, all the things, the sins that happen up here in our mind, because we're told if we hate somebody, we've already murdered them in our mind. And if we lust after somebody, we've already committed adultery with them in our mind. So the sins of the body, the sins of the mind, and the sins of the will. 
where we're still holding on to our will, saying, God, answer my prayer, but I want you to do it my way. And I hear I'm going to plan out for you how you're going to answer this prayer for me. God doesn't do that. That's not God's way. It's going to be his will. In his timing, in whatever method he chooses to answer that prayer. And sometimes the answer to the prayer is no, or not yet. Because we're seeking his will, not our own. So when we surrender to God, as we should, in the process of transformation, we surrender ourselves completely. We don't brick any passageways off to God, and we don't plant any cemeteries to, to block him from entrance. But you know what? We've got to be the one to take the step. God will not enter into our lives unless we invite him. Initially, but then progressively, as months and years of our life goes by in our relationship with him, he always seeks a deeper relationship, a more intimate relationship. And we can't hide anything from God at all. Let's turn finally to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. So what, what can we learn from the ancient city of Jerusalem? The eastern gate, the golden gate, where Jesus will return. And as the, at least the Jewish tradition says, he's going to come through that gate and enter into the city at his, at his coming. That applies to us in our personal lives. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22, says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So God is transforming us. You know, every, every week when we come to church, our prayer should be, God, change me. That's what I'm here for. I'm not here just to sing songs to you. I'm not just here to, to hear scriptures read. I'm here to be changed. I'm putting my entire life into your hands. And you, I want you to investigate and search out not just the openly visible part of me, but the deep, dark recesses of my life. And I'm not going to block you off from them. I'm going to break down those walls. I'm going to open the passageways. I'm going to open the doors, whatever doors are necessary. Enter in, God, and look at me and see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And by your grace, transform me. I just pray that you be patient with me and be gentle, and he will. But you know what? Sometimes as he starts probing our lives, you ouch, that hurts. Ouch, there's another thing I'm doing wrong that I've got to change. By his grace and by his power, he will change us. God doesn't want to just transform part of you. He wants to transform all of you. So surrender yourself to him. We're putting ourselves in very good hands. But this is God's greatest desire for us, to be changed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson today. Uh, we saw a little bit of ge geography. Uh, we saw a little bit of history. But there's a lesson for us in it. How foolish it is to think that uh, your son, Jesus Christ, can be blocked. He has all the power of the universe at his disposal. So entering a city is nothing for him. But entering our lives, he will only do that with our permission. 
So we permitted him to enter in partway. We now need to invite him to enter in fully, 100%, to our bodies, to our minds, and to our will, and to take it over. We know that that's your desire for each and every one of us, and not just us, but eventually for, for everyone in this world. We've made a lot of progress by your grace and mercy, and we want more progress to be made. So, Lord, we invite you to enter in fully and to change us, to transform us. It might hurt, it might be painful, it might mean making some changes in our lives, but that's your desire. We want to be able to surrender ourselves, to be living sacrifices to you 100%. So we invite you to do that now, Lord. And at the end of this prayer, as we say amen, that means we all agree. Because of your love and mercy and the wonderful gospel message of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.